0: Almost did it again. Blew my voice out, singing those hymns. What a glorious, mighty God we serve. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 9. As we come to this passage that many people wish wasn't in the Bible, but it is. Many wish it would just be skipped over but we're not going to do that. Uh, Yeah, it's a, when I come to chapter 9, I'm reminded of two things that are non-scriptural. I'm reminded a song that we just sang a minute ago, Sovereign Over Us, and I I love the phrase in there, uh, you're sanctifying us when beyond our understanding, you're teaching us to trust. There is a dimension of the Christian walk in the, christian faith that we don't fully understand but if the word teaches it we're required to believe it even though we can't understand it i would uh, i would say the trinity is one of those things i can't fully understand the trinity If you come up and ask me today to explain the trinity to you i'll have to say uh there's the father son and holy spirit there's three persons, one God. No, 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 but how does that work? I don't know. In in human mathematics, it doesn't work. In God's economy, it works perfectly. So there are mysteries within the Scripture. second thing I'm reminded of is another song, and it's Andrew Peterson's song, You're Always Good, Always Good, in his Resurrection Letters collection, and I've quoted a part of it before, part of the, the verse that I'm thinking about, quoted a line on several occasions, but I want you to hear the whole thing. You're always good, always good, as we try to believe what is not meant to be understood. Will you help us to trust your intentions for us are still good? Because you laid down your life and you suffered like I never could. Help us believe what is not meant to be understood. Maybe Romans chapter 9 has a bit of that in it. We won't fully understand it. And Paul even recognizes that. Paul answers questions that I don't think are hypothetical questions. I think they're questions that people are saying, well, Paul, what if this? And Paul says, okay, well, here's what if this. And he answers those questions. Y'all are used to me reading one verse of Scripture and preaching on that verse of Scripture. Bear with me. For 29 verses of Scripture this morning. And follow along as I read from Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 29. Paul says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself might be accursed cut off from Christ. That is, I would that I could just be lost again for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Now, my brothers there are not spiritual brothers in Christ. They're kinsmen, brothers according to the flesh, Israelites. They are Israelites. And to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but... Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that there is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offsprings. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year I'll return and Sarah will have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, Though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or evil, good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election, God's purpose of choice might be continued, might continue, because, not because of works, but because of Him who calls. She was told the older will serve the younger, which is totally out of sync with tradition and culture and even religion. The older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau I hated. Then he gets to those questions. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. Heavens, no. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God, who has mercy. For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then, he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You say to me then, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? Why does God still hold us accountable For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience, patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? In order to make known His riches, the riches of His glory for the vessels of mercy, which He prepared beforehand for glory. Even us, whom He has called, back to Romans 8. Even us, whom He has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed He says in Hosea, those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who is not my beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they, there they will be called sons of the living God. It's Hosea 2.23 and Hosea 1.10. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of, Sons, the sons of Israel, be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out His sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And Isaiah predicted, or prophesied, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, a remnant, a heritage, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom, and become like Gomorrah that is destroyed. You may look at those. Those are hard words. And I would say to you, they're no harder words to you than they are to me. And for many years, I was like many pastors are, let's just don't deal with that. That's that's hard. That's that's not milk. That's not even solid food. That's tough steaks to try to deal with, try to chew on. But I believe when the Apostle Paul left Ephesus, or left the Ephesian elders, left Ephesus, headed back toward Jerusalem, where he knew he was going to die eventually, he said, "I want you to know this. I want you to know this that I have not shrunk from declaring to you the whole counsel of God, every bit of it. Even the parts you didn't like. Even the parts that are difficult." Because everything in God's revealed Word, and folks, do I have to remind you, I believe that this book from Genesis to Revelation in totality is the inerrant, infallible, sufficient, authoritative, powerful Word of God. Every part of it. And every part of it is worthy to look at and consider. It's interesting, through the years, I've, there's been much said about this chapter. I've heard some say It's the most difficult chapter of the book of Romans to believe. That's why I started with Andrew Peterson's words, and the words out of our psalm, Sovereign Over Us, help us believe what is not meant to be understood. Because a lot of here you won't understand. But it's true because God says it's true. So there are some who said this is the most difficult chapter In perhaps the most difficult book to some people in all the Bible to believe. And what would I say to you to that? I'd say, you're right. It is very difficult to believe at times. Others say it's the most difficult chapter of the book to understand. And again, I come back to my statement, help us believe what is not meant to be understood. Yeah, it's hard to understand it. Because we have been so saturated with this Pollyanna view of God that we can't see God doing anything but what we want him to do he's our great grandfather in the sky he just meets our need. he does all things good for us we want uh, the prosperity gospel says we want to suffer if we believe in christ and we walk with him and we confess our sin and have enough faith we want to suffer it's all good god will only do good for us well i agree he'll only do good for his believers but in doing that good sometimes as we saw in romans chapter 8 some bad comes along some tough times come along i just want to believe what god says I want to believe what he says is true. And so it is tough to be understood completely. And you'll never understand it completely. And I won't understand it completely ever. I even heard one preacher one time, and I really heard this with my own ears in a meeting that I was at. He stood and he he said, a lot of people talk about Romans 9. Well, I just want to say this. I don't know what Paul is saying in Romans 9, but I do know one thing. He's not saying what it sounds like he's saying. I don't know what Paul's saying, but he's not saying what it sounds like he's saying. I contend you this morning. He's saying what it sounds like he's saying. One person several years ago even told me right here in Somerset, Kentucky rather foolishly told me this. This is a professing Christian. It's a rather foolish statement. But he said, and I quote, if Romans 9 is true, then I don't want anything to do with God. Now that ought to bring a gasp that anyone would make that kind of statement because it is included in God's holy, inerrant, infallible, authoritative, sufficient word. Scholars argue over Romans 9, 10, and 11 all the time. They, uh, you know, they, they, one thing I want you to see is Paul in, each, in, in all those chapters kind of go together as a, as a section, if you will. Some want to say, well, Romans 1 through 8 is, a, is the gospel. Paul presents the gospel in all its glory. And, and Romans uh, 12 on gives us practical application of that gospel. And for some reason, Paul just put this confusing section, 9, 10, and 11, right here in the middle. And we're not sure why he's so confused. He's not confused. Others say, "Well, it's just an append- It's just a parenthesis." And some teach. I had a professor in seminary that taught that was so a parenthesis. To some degree, it could be. I mean, Paul has just talked about in Romans 8, God is working all things together for our good, that neither life nor death nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will ever be able to separate from the love of God. He's made all of that great affirmation. And now he comes to these verses and says, here's why we know those those statements are true. Here's why we can believe it. Here's why we can stand on it. N.T. Wright made the statement about chapter 9. He said, Romans, well it says 9, 10, 11 really. Romans 9 through 11 is full of problems as a hedgehog is full of prickles. Well, it's prickly, but it's true. So what do you say? You look at Paul here in these verses and you see that he starts each of these chapters with a passionate plea. Chapter 9 said, I'm speaking the truth. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. that I long for my the Israelites, my brethren by the flesh, to come to faith in Christ. But they're not in droves. Some are, a remnant is, but many aren't. He starts in verse 10 chapter 10 rather verse 1 brothers my heart's desire and prayer to God for them that is the israelites is that they may be saved for i bear them witness that my i have a, that, that they have a zeal for god but not according to knowledge there's a lot of people with a zeal for god today but it's not based on the knowledge of god's word in its totality in its fullness and then in chapter 11 he begins that chapter. Just giving you a preview of what's to come. Verse 11, Chapter 11, verse 1, he says, I ask then, has God rejected his people by no means? For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How, how he appeals to God against Israel? says, they've killed your prophets, they've demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. When I get there, I may take an excursus on Elijah and that passage. If I get there before May 31st. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal, so too, at this present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it, if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. I mean, the dominant theme of these chapters, I mean, they, they extol the sovereignty of God. Thus my title, the sermon, is God or Man Sovereign? They extol the sovereignty of God, but they're really dealing with that basic question very clearly, well, why is Israel as Israel is? Now, we live in a day that there's a lot in liberal theology that says, well, we don't have to worry about Israel because they're God's chosen people. They're going to be saved no matter what. They're they're a part of the old covenant. Paul doesn't believe that. I sat on an airplane next to a man, goodness, back when I was still in Florida, coming out of. Louisville, Kentucky, and I, from a trustee meeting, I had to fly to to Cincinnati and then on to Orlando, and on that little short flight from Louisville to Cincinnati, sitting next to a guy, and and we started talking. You know, we're on a little commuter jet, so you're really close quarters there. And he said, "Well, what are you in Louisville for?" Because I said I was going back home to Florida. He said, "Well, that's why well, I'm here. I'm, I'm a trustee at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and I'm here for a trustee meeting, going home from that." And he said, "Oh." Southern Seminary. He said, it's that Al Mohler guy. Yeah, it's Al Mohler. He said, he hates me. I said, he hates you? Yeah, he hates me. I'm Jewish, and he hates me. He hates all Jews. I said, you know, I've known Al Mohler for about 20 years, and I've never seen that. Why, Why do you say that? Because he thinks unless I come to faith in Jesus Christ, I'm lost. I said, brother, he doesn't hate you. He loves you he's telling you the truth well I don't believe it. I'm a part of the chosen people of God and I, I I just don't believe I have to trust Christ I said well you need to read some of the New Testament you read read some of the prophecies of Jeremiah you need to realize that that yes Christ is a revelation of God and you have to come to Christ there is no way other than through Christ So if you've got a Jewish friend and you're saying, well, I don't have to share my faith with them because they're all right. They're a part of the covenant people, the original covenant people. God's promised them He can't break a promise. He doesn't break any promises, but He makes it clear throughout all the way that that the old covenant is based on obedience. The old covenant is based on keeping the law and making the sacrifices. The new covenant is based on the one and only sacrifice, the final sacrifice, Jesus Christ. And if your faith is not in him, if that sacrifice has not covered you, then you are doomed. That's not a theological term, that's a Haynes term. But I think it communicates. You're doomed. But Paul says, I wish that my I wish my people would believe. And, and he raises these questions that, honestly, I'm not even going to try to deal with today. We'll come back in two weeks. Next week we'll be in a psalm for the Lord's Supper. But what I want you to do in these next two weeks, I want you to read Romans 9. You know, I wish, you can't do this, I can't do this, but, but I kind of wish that somehow we could come to, well, really all of Scripture, but especially chapter 9 of Romans epistle. Paul's epistle to the Romans, was sort of a blank slate. Not bringing preconceived notions, not, not bringing the idea that, well, I don't know what Paul's saying, but he can't be saying what, I, what it sounds like he's saying. He's got to be saying something else, but I don't know what that is. I, you know, we, we all come at it from, from well, I've always been taught. I had somebody tell me not long ago, well, that's not what I was taught from childhood. Well, okay, I wasn't either. And quite honestly, it, it really became as a shock to my system in 1980 when I was reading Romans 9, and God said, "Bill," uh, He didn't say this. I didn't hear voices. But when in my heart God said, "Do you believe that?" And I basically said, "I don't think I can." I came to realize, but God gave it for a reason. Let me just, he gave it for a reason, for exactly what I was praying for during our prayer time. To humble us. Certainly can't be arrogant on that. If I say that Christ saved me, I couldn't save myself. I have to say, Lord, thank you. If God says, I have put a fence around you and called you by my grace... I can't say, but Lord, what did I do to get it? You know, I can't, I can't get arrogant about that. Paul makes it clear here. It's not by, and basically he's saying the same thing that John said in John 1, 12 and 13. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. We'll get back to that in that question on God's injustice next week. This ought to be the most humbling chapter in all the bible for me and for you i quit arguing about romans nine years ago so i'm just warning if you want to come start an argument with me about it save your breath because i'll just say read the chapter Well, explain to me why god i can't explain to you why god does anything just know he does because he said he does. Paul says, you're going to argue with God. I'm getting into next, the next sermon. But he says it. Will you say then why? Will you say this is not fair? If Romans 9 is true, it God's not fair? I hate to tell you this. I am so, so glad that God's not fair. God were fair when Adam fell and we inherited that sin nature and we all fell because we were sinners if God were fair he'd say I'm fair you did it you're gone but God's gracious so I'm not going to argue with God about it I'm not going to argue with you about it I'm just going to say read the text and I really want you to do that for the next two weeks like I say next week we'll have a psalm of the Lord's Supper and we'll have baptism, and we'll do some things next week. but, But for the next two weeks, you got two weeks to read this at least 14 times every day. Maybe 28 times. Read it twice a day. But I want you to approach it as best you can. Lord, take away all my preconceived notions. Take away all my biases. Take away all that would cause me to say, Oh, I can't believe that part. By your Holy Spirit, enlighten my eyes and enlighten my heart to believe what you want me to believe. Help me to believe what is true in your word. I. You can't see this. I wish you could put it on a camera and project it up, but right here, every Sunday when I stand in this pulpit, and every Sunday when any of our pastors stand here or any guest preacher stands here, they see this little plaque. And, And it simply says this. You've heard me read it before. You, talking about me, standing in this pulpit, you are required to believe, to teach, and to preach what the Bible says is true. Not what you want it to say is true. We all let it get in our way, you know? What we want. Preconceived notions. Biases. Lord, humble us. May May our hearts be melted at the glory of God's grace. Our hearts be humbled when we realize that there's nothing we could do to get our salvation. It's all of Him. Even Jonah knew that. Salvation is of the Lord. Humble us, O oh Lord. Humble us under Your Word and Your truth. I've already got next two weeks sermon prepared. Let's pray.